Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold sitting in an airport. We've done Days of Roar after dark. We will now do Days of Roar in the airport. How are you doing today, Ev? Mark, I think you stole my line. That's what I was going to go to. I was going to to Days of Roar after dark, now Days of Roar in an airport. But yeah, I'm at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport here on a fine Sunday afternoon after the Tigers won 6-4. I mean, you want to talk about an exhilarating game. That was an exhilarating game. And, you know, the Tigers did a great job, I thought, early of doing the best that they could to get to the opposing pitcher. Um, We saw, you know, a run early, and then Louis Varlin kind of locked it in there until the fifth inning when, you know, Tigers were able to get back-to-back home runs from Spencer Torkelson and Kerry Carpenter, added a few more runs later in that inning, and you're sitting there looking pretty, 6-1 to lead, and then all of a sudden the eighth inning comes, right? And I think it's important that we highlight this right off the bat for a couple reasons, and I think the first reason is because Alex Lang has been struggling. Alex Lang has been having a lot of trouble recently, and Jason Foley has not. Jason Foley has been absolutely electric and, and has been as, as, as dominant as dominant gets, um, the way that he's been able to handle situations that he's been put in. Um, and the, the eighth inning was, was crazy. I mean, Michael A. Taylor gets hit by a pitch, and it actually hits him you know, below the left ear, you know, kind of up behind the neck. It was in a spot where it didn't hit him in the helmet. So he had a head contusion. It, it seems like he's going to be okay. He was able to walk off the field. By himself it doesn't sound like he has a concussion so that's obviously really positive to hear first and foremost but Alex Lang hits a batter with the the second pitch that he throws then it's a walk then it's double from ex-Tiger Willie Castro then another hit by pitch then a wild pitch then a walk um, and you're sitting there with you know the bases loaded nobody out and it's uh and it's six three Tigers up by three Jason Foley comes in gives up a single at six to four and then he slams the door with three straight outs. He gets a fly out, a strikeout, and a strikeout to, to end the eighth inning. And it was interesting, Mark, if you watched the game, you know, he, he, he didn't celebrate. You know, Jason Foley, he got a nice call on Byron Buxton for a called third to end the inning, to escape the jam, bases loaded. Um, and it was a, a beautiful sinker, 99 mile an hour, down and away, as picture perfect as you could put it. No emotion, just walks off the field. I asked him after the game, I said, hey, man, you, you you do realize you got out of a huge situation. Like, why no fist pump? Why no smile? I mean, it was a straight face walking right back to the dugout, and he said he had a, a feeling he was going to pitch the ninth inning, knowing that the Tigers have had two bullpen games against the Twins, and sure enough, he comes back out for the ninth inning. He gets a 28-pitch, six-out save, and that was as good of uh, an outing as I've seen from Jason Foley, and he's been he's been electric all season long. So you got to tip your cap to him. The ERA for him now this season is down to 2 3 zero. Alex Langs has jumped to 413. But Tigers win three of four in Minneapolis, and they're playing good ball recently. The offense has picked up. Yep. So let's uh, let's quickly talk about Jason Foley, a guy that doesn't normally get a lot of swing and miss, and he got a lot of swing and miss today. And he was throwing 98-99. What a performance. Saved their bacon. Reminded you a lot of the game. Uh, last week when they ate another <laughs> ninth-inning meltdown or eighth-inning meltdown, and uh, you saved their bacon. So now onward to Kansas City, see if the offense can continue to produce. All of a sudden, they're hitting home runs like, uh, you know, they're going out of style, and it's a much more fun style of play to to watch every day. 
So um, since we're going to try to be as brief as we can to get you on an airplane to make sure we get everything in, what I want to do, you know, was a, just, just for the record, I think it was a four and three week, correct? Do I have that correct? So a big improvement. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, coming, coming from Sunday, yeah. you know, they ended up, you know, they beat the Braves on, uh, on Monday, they lost both games, the double header on Wednesday. And, and then, then three, three from the team, so yeah. right, and they, and they, they played the Braves for all they were worth. I mean, the Braves are just really, really so good. good. Such a long lineup, uh, but but, yeah. but Mark, this is this is what matters to me. This is what matters to me. And you mentioned the home runs over the past ten games. The Tigers are hitting two eighty with seventeen home runs. That's an average of nine point nine hits and one point seven home runs per game. Now, in the first six games of June, which we know were abysmal. Tigers hit 124 with two home runs. That's an average of 3.8 hits and 0.3 homers. So you've gone from 3.8 hits to 9.9 hits and 0.3 homers to 1.7 homers. Two Scoring, did they even score in the first six games of June? I'm having like a blackout over it. I, I, I'm not sure they scored. They were like that, six that great was, games without scoring. Yeah, it was such a bad series. They got swept by both the White Sox and the Phillies and they scored a run, one run against the White Sox in one of the games, and then two runs in uh, in the series finale, and then they ended up scoring five runs against the Phillies. So they they scored some runs, but they were just terrible with runners in scoring position, and obviously didn't have the home run ball. What one of those home runs was, you know, Nick Maton's homer to break up the uh, the perfect game from his buddy there in yeah, Philly. I, so I don't e- I don't even remember those games anymore. I feel like I was locked in a closet with a blindfold on or something. I I, I can't even. I can't even think about those first six games of the month. Terrible. It was just unwatchable baseball. Before we get to the big two, since our podcast, because of the federal holiday, is not going to drop until Tuesday instead of Monday, on Monday, Scott Harris spoke to all the beat writers for one of the few times this year, he commented on quite a few things about various players and statuses of the team. We felt it was really important to add this to the podcast. So we're going to discuss what went on today with Scott Harris for a few minutes, and then we'll get back to our regular Days of Roar at the airport uh, as we recorded it on Sunday night. So without further ado, uh, Ev. Explain to uh, everybody what went on with Scott Harris today, things he discussed, your opinion about it, and maybe I'll chime in a little bit. I think you're definitely going to chime in, and, and maybe more than a little bit, Mark, but it was interesting today. We were all in the clubhouse, and suddenly the the word from the PR department was, oh, by the way, Scott Harris is going to talk today. And of course, we're all thinking, okay, it, something's got to be going on, um, whether it's something with Austin Meadows, whether it's something with a player getting sent down, um, whether it's a new injury that we hadn't heard about, or maybe uh, somebody that re-aggravated, um, you know, something that was going on that maybe is on a rehab assignment right now. None of those things were the case, but that's kind of what we initially thought. The last time that he came out and talked was after the Spencer Turnbull stuff went down. And so we just assumed, hey, there must be a reason that he he wants to come out and talk. And I guess he wanted to talk just to just to talk, which is very not like Scott Harris so far this season. So he comes out and he uh, just fields questions for 13 minutes. He sat in the dugout and he talked to reporters, both beat writers, people from Valley Sports Detroit. Dan Dickerson was there. I mean, it was it was the whole crew down there with several cameras on him. 
ready to talk about all things Tigers. He didn't say a whole lot, which isn't really surprising. That's you know pretty much what Scott has stuck to since he's been uh, the president of baseball operations is not saying a whole lot, but also saying a lot at the same time. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, the first thing that he talked about and the first question that he you know was asked about was, hey, so where does this team go from here? I mean, you're at this point now where you're sitting four games back of first place in the American League Central. The division is obviously weak. Can you contend? Are you going to contend? And Scott Harris deflected off of that and basically said that, they are obviously aware of where they're at right now. And he's exposed to things on Twitter and he sees that people want them to contend, but the focus was beating the Kansas city Royals tonight. That was what he said. He said, they're going to look into the forest next month and try to find their path forward. So that was kind of the first thing that he said, which, you know, I, I thought was interesting, but I kind of understand the point too, right? I mean, you don't want to say that you're going to contend and go for it. If, you know, in a month from now, you're nowhere near, you know, the, the spot that you need to be to go for that would just look bad. So I kind of understand that situation. But other than that, I mean, he talked about some of the pitchers on the injured list. Um, he talked about Nick Maytown. He talked about Austin Meadows a little bit. He talked about the Colt Key situation, um, went pretty in depth about that. And some of his philosophies about calling up double A players. Um, he mentioned, we're not going to get into this really, but he mentioned he's going to be very involved in the MLB draft, which is coming up soon. The Tigers have the number three overall pick. He said that he is not going to share anything about the third pick or any of the picks that the Tigers have until they make them. But once they make them, he's going to be happy to talk about all the players. He also said that he does not intend to hire a general manager in the near future. He actually isn't actively searching for a general manager at this point. Um, didn't put a timetable on that at all. And he said that he plans to do it at some point in the future, but right now that's on pause because he has a lot on his plate. So it sounds to me like that's an off-season priority. But first thing we need to do is jump into the pitcher injuries, which he didn't say a whole lot about. The Tigers have four of their top pitchers on the injured list, you know, four guys that are nearing their return. And Eduardo Rodriguez, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning, and Spencer Turnbull. Spencer Turnbull has started a throwing program. Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning are on rehab assignments. And Eduardo Rodriguez is throwing a bullpen. Scott Harris said that, and this was probably the most newsworthy thing he said all day, was that the Tigers will provide details of Eduardo Rodriguez's next steps in Tuesday's injury report. So it sounds like that's kind of going to be the next indication of what's next for, for Erod. But yeah, I mean, he talked a lot about the pitchers, but didn't say a whole lot. Okay, so let's try to take these things one at a time. All right, nothing or shattering about the pitchers. We've gone on an infinitum about understanding the timeline that Manning and uh, Scooble, I think Manning's ahead of Scooble, but I think they're pretty much paired in when they're coming back. So he's not adding anything to what we already know, the Erod stuff. Holy smokes, dude. You got everybody assembled there. You're going to make everybody wait a day to read a press release tomorrow. But okay, that's fine. He's going to tell you tomorrow that Erod's going to throw a bullpen. He's going to see how he feels and they'll go from there. So he's not breaking any news. And, and, and look, you're down there every day. Am, am I wrong what I just said? I mean, he's going to tell you tomorrow, Erod's going to throw a bullpen in a few days. Yeah, right? I mean, injury, an injury report is going to come out and that's going to be the, the message there, I would assume. But also talked about positive reports on Austin Meadows. That was something that um, was a good piece of information, something good to hear. Austin Meadows has been on the 60-day injured list because of anxiety. He hasn't played since April 6th. He recently left Detroit, went back to Florida, to continue working on his mental health. Scott said the reports that they have received are positive. Um, he's working through treatment. He's also working out. It's a healthy environment for him to kind of progress forward. 
and they're keeping tabs on him. And he he said, and I like this line too because it showed a little bit of uh, a little bit of fire. Like, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're rooting like hell for him, and I think everybody is. Um, and I think that was really good to hear from Scott. It's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to get him back or when they're going to be able to get him back. There's no timeline on that yet, so it's it's completely up in the air. Look, we're only speculating. It's very difficult to speculate about an individual's mental health status. You and I are very sensitive to these things. Um, we both have plenty of experience, you know, within our sphere and our families and our own personal circumstances. It's it's really difficult sure. to predict the timeline. I would find it miraculous if uh, Austin Meadows played again this year. If he does, I would think something like in the month of September in a little lower pressure environment unless somehow we're in the playoff hunt, which is not impossible. But uh, my expectations are pretty low. And then they're going to have some huge decisions to make because they basically have a player that hasn't really played in two years. They're going to have to figure out how to navigate that. Pardon me, this offseason. So... I just wish the guy the best of luck in his life. I think baseball is not on the list of priorities that I wish for for Austin Meadows. I just wish him a good life. And if it turns out that he finds it within his zen to be able to be a ball player again, God bless him. Okay. So, for sure. you know, let's move on to some other things. So, let's move on to this Nick Maton aspect of what we're discussing and. Now you're going to start getting Mark Gorash a little fired up, which is if I, it, it's, it's, it reminds me in many ways of you have an unruly child in elementary school and he keeps going to the principal's office and uh, you keep semi ignoring the fact that he's behaving badly. And, uh, you know, you try to, well, you know, he made it to two o'clock before he disrupted the class today. Well, he's not supposed to disrupt the class at all, okay? I mean, there's a certain expectation of what a major leaguer is supposed to have as a production quota to be in the major leagues. And, heck, I mean, Dan Dickerson, who's just about the nicest man ever, who goes out of his way to try and not say anything negative about his baseball team, actually said something today and I was like, holy smokes, which was, yeah, it's not very normal to have somebody at the production levels of Nick Maton in your lineup on a daily basis. That's pretty much what he said today. And I was like, you think? So when Scott Harris disingenuously starts saying how good Nick Maton's at-bats have been and they start framing it, and I went and looked, and I was like, oh, he had a 76 WRC plus in the month of May, even though he hit 160. And now it's June. His walk rate went down and he's hitting 125 and he's got a 43 WRC plus. So explain to me how he went from totally unacceptable to, oh my God, he's the worst producing offensive player in Major League Baseball getting reasonably normal at bats out of 350 players. And you're trying to tell me, yeah, well, he's walking a little bit. He has 14 hits combined in May and June. 14. It, it's like, come on. Can we, 
I mean, Nick, Wolfie Maton, huge part of the team, huge part of the culture, huge part of the clubhouse, adequate defender, but <laughs> let's, let's stop, you know, not calling out the fact that he's the worst hitter in Major League Baseball for the last seven weeks, and he wasn't that good in April. So at some point in time, you at least need to try and win. It's not like he's, and he's hitting fifth. And you keep watching the at-bats and you're just shaking your head. You're not, you're not hitting the ball hard even. So I don't know how you look at savvy baseball people in the face and say that kind of stuff. That was just ridiculous. Then, you know, well, Scott, looks, Scott, Scott did say as, as long as the work looks good and as long as Nick Maytown continues to show some of those adjustments at the plate, Tigers are going to give him runway. Yeah. So it sounds like he's going to be here. And if, and if Nick Maytown was an Al Avila acquisition and not a Scott Harris acquisition, where do you think he'd be playing right now? Well, I guess that's up for debate, but. Let's move on to Cole Key from the Cole Key situation. I know. Um, Uh, I love this one. I got some stuff for this one. Go ahead. Yeah, so the Cole Key situation um, is is fascinating. We obviously missed some time because of uh, an arm fatigue or or something like that, it sounded like, and the Tigers. um, Obviously, we're smart holding him out and and, and being wise about that. He's returned as a designated hitter. But the guy's crushing the ball. I mean, he came back coming off that little injury, if you want to call it an injury. And launched a home run in his first plate appearance. He's hitting 325 with 14 homers, 25 walks, 58 strikeouts in 55 games. And I 100% agreed when Scott Harris said he embodies the offensive approach that we're trying to build in this organization. Completely agree. And Scott followed it up with two excellent points. He's swinging at the right pitches, and he's accessing his power almost every night. Both of those things are just facts. Cole Keith has been great, and... Yeah, I mean, the big question is like, okay, is he going to come up from double A then? Is he going to get promoted? When, when, when's he moving up? And Scott Harris basically highlighted three specific player development goals for Colt Keith to see different type of, types of pitching, to refine his defense at third base and second base, and to make up for some of those lost reps from last year's shoulder injury while playing in high A West Michigan. So far, Cole Keith has had 292 plate appearances in high A West Michigan, 258 plate appearances in double A Erie. He won the Eastern league player of the month in May. He has a 992 on baseball slugging percentage this season with the Seawolves. They want him to focus on getting better. They like the standard that he's setting at the double A level. I did find it interesting though, that he had mentioned that one of the things that he wanted Cole Keith to do is see different types of pitching. And then the question came up, okay, well, can any double-A player make the jump to the big leagues, you know, in your organization with you running the show? And, you know, Scott talked about the gap between triple-A and major league pitching. It's, it's wider than it's ever been. And he talked about just with those hitters down there, they really want them to get reps against different types of pitchers in triple-A. And so when he said that he wants Cole Keith to get reps against different types of pitchers, then he said that they can get, you know, players can get reps against different types of pitchers at the AAA level. To me, it makes it seem like, hey, a promotion could be coming at some point, but it's not going to be a jump to Detroit. That, that's how I viewed that. Okay. He's not getting promoted to Detroit. I think we can safely say that. He's obviously being held back at Erie because they're trying to help Erie win the first half pennant in the Eastern League, of which Colt Keith will be so long gone by the time they start 
playing playoffs in September that I get you're trying to help them, but he's not going to be a part of that when it happens. And who the heck remembers if Erie made the playoffs or not? You really are by the time, you know, often, whether it's double A AA or triple A, you're running an entire minor league team on behalf of one, two, if you're really lucky, three guys that are future big leaguers. The rest of them are pretty much entertainment and org fodder. So if what we're doing is trying to make Cole Keith the best baseball player we can make him, suppressing him for two weeks to try to win Erie pennant, kind of nutty. A, not necessarily developing him. B, now let's get to the real, to the real stuff. Older Colt Keith or Riley Green when they were promoted to the major leagues? Or How old was Riley Green when he was promoted to the major leagues and how many games in the minor leagues had he played? Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to have to jump on the computer and do some research on <laughs> well, that. The, that. I know the, an- the answer is Riley Green was 20, okay? Older. Riley Green, than- Riley, Riley Green was 21 when he debuted. Okay. Younger than Cole Keith is now and had played about 150 games. I tweeted the facts to this the other night. Somebody wants to search my timeline. Um, Cole Keith had played about the same amount of games now that Riley Green had played when he was promoted to the major leagues. And Riley Green was actually younger than Cole Keith is now when he was promoted to the major leagues. Spencer Torkelson was older than Riley Green, was older, I'm sorry, than Cole Keith when he when he did make it to the major leagues, but it also played about the same amount of games that Cole Keith has played now. So the idea that Cole Keith needs to play all these games, and I don't think I'm saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but Cole Keith's aggregate statistics, both you know, in aggregate plus at double A are superior to what either uh, Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson had done, you know, in their careers and at Erie. So productivity-wise, not not really close. It's not the only way to measure players' readiness or sophistication or skill development. I, I get it, and I'm not going to try to tell you I understand, the com- you know, if, is the comparison linear. However... I would say that both Green and Torkelson were more polished defenders than Keith is. But at the same time, I don't think Keith is so butcherish at third base that he could not come up and play, probably hold his own hitting, and probably get a lot more skill development at the major league level than he's getting in Erie. So All of this stuff just seems like a bunch of hocus-pocus, fast-talking, and, you know, sometimes we want to promote guys, other times we don't want to promote guys at all. Nick Maton is, you know, doing good. We're going to keep him. Cole Keith is not doing good enough. We're going to suppress him. It's, It's just all lacking in any real honesty in many ways. So there's a narrative Scott has, and it fits for one guy, it doesn't fit for another guy, and it's just kind of what he believes he wants to do. It's all about the strategic 
ideas of Scott Harris. Are they consistent? Hell no. Okay. They're not consistent. And, you know, he was asked, really, is he going to try to win? And the answer was, uh, in a month, I'll let you know how we're going to approach things. Well, I think we've discussed it, you and I. They're getting three or four of their best players back within the next 30 days. Of course, the team's going to be better. So do they need to make moves and trades to try to get better to be in a pennant race? Maybe, but probably not. They're getting a hell of a lot. They're getting all their best players back in a month. So, you know, I I just thought that what he had to say today was lacking in honesty Pretty much, he's gotten a ton of criticism from people like you and I and other people that are pretty well listened to and read in the community. And uh, he decided to, you know, he came off a road trip and it was a good time. The PR department thought maybe it was a, a wise time to interact with the fan base. Well, Mark, all that stuff. I mean, that's that's a lot of that's your opinion. That's one man's opinion. And, you know. I know listeners appreciate when you give it to them, how you, how you feel, but I think that kind of wraps it up. I mean, look, it was nice to hear from him. It was good to talk to him. Hopefully we get more opportunities to interact with him moving forward just to get more insight into, into what's going on. But that's all that I have uh, for, for now. All right. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of the pod. That's our two cents about what happened today. All right. So, Let's get right into it. Let's go to the big two. Question number one of the big two. Are the Tigers somehow in this division race now? Isn't it crazy? I mean, just to think about that, the fact that you're asking me that question and it's, you know, the middle of June and it has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, how good the Tigers are playing or how bad the Tigers are playing. It's just because the division sucks. I mean, the division is no good. You have Minnesota right now sitting at 36 and 36 they had a 500 record and that's the best team in the american league central and the tigers just took three of four against them um so right now as it stands as we're recording it's it's sunday 7 30 p.m eastern as we sit right here the tigers are in third place to the central at 30 and 40 they're five games back yeah they have a chance they have they have a shot to make some noise and 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 make a move. I mean that's that's just every, but everybody does though outside of the Royals, do they not? I mean that's the thing but, that I think stands out more to me than anything. It's like sure, do the Tigers have a chance? Yeah, but so does Cleveland, so does Chicago, and obviously you know Minnesota as well. The one encouraging thing that I think that we we, we can't overlook is that the Tigers are twelve and eight against their division, and I think that's a, a good sign considering you play most of your games against you know teams in your division. Not only that. The Detroit Tigers are getting their three best players back here in the next three or four weeks. They're getting well, that's, that's Riley huge. Green, Tarek Skubal, Eduardo Rodriguez, all coming back. And toss Matt Manning in there, say what you want about him, but that's a that's an arm. He is an it's, arm. It's an important arm, but I'm I'm saying I said best. I didn't say yeah, I mean, but yeah, that's valuable. Fair. Okay. You're gonna get some bullpen depth with Brisky. I didn't hate this. Pickup they made today in Colvin, he's at least a depth arm, much better than uh, Brito, who was pretty much just a dumpster dive that didn't work out. Um, So, you know, the Tigers got some interesting things going on. I've written a little bit about Parker Meadows, who typically is really 
really good after the first of June. He, you know, he was last year. He's starting to heat up there, and that's a bat to keep your eye on because he does a lot of things. And uh, you know, I love left-handed bats. So I mean, you have Cole Keith. You got Parker Meadows. You got some pitching coming back. You got your boy Riley Green, who stirs the drink, and you're within five games of first place, and you're getting ready to play terrible, more terrible teams. So, you know, the answer is let's keep throwing uh, wood on the fire and see what happens, right? I do think it's encouraging, too, that the offense has picked up recently, especially with the return of Kerry Carpenter and the return of Matt Veerling. I think it goes for everybody. Say what you want about both those players. They have been streaky at times. Um, we've seen Matt Veerling, you know, absolutely rake for a few days in a row and then just, you know, basically go AWOL for about a week straight and then rake for a couple more days and then go AWOL for two weeks. I mean, we, we've seen that. And Kerry Carpenter, the power, you know, it comes and goes sometimes. But, you know, both those guys got off to hot starts coming off, coming back off the injured list. And I think it allowed everybody to just settle back in and, and to not feel like they were missing so much. It, it allows Nick Maton instead of having him to hit, you know, having him hitting, you know, fourth all the time. And we'll get into Nick Maton, but allows him to slide down. And it just, it just re, reconstructs the lineup in a way that is, is favorable. And I think it takes the pressure off of certain guys. We've seen Torkelson pick it up recently. And I think all, a lot of that can be attributed to getting those two guys back on offense. And it only gets better when Riley Green comes back. So that's positive. Like that's positive. Tigers didn't take Riley Green on their trip to Minnesota because they wanted him to stay back and, um, you know, run on the ultra G treadmill, the anti-gravity, you know, treadmill. So that's a positive sign that he's at least moving his legs and, and getting those under him and progressing back towards being able to to run at full speed because once he's able to run and, and he's cleared to run, he's going to be in rehab games. So a lot's coming back real quick for the Tigers. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez threw a bullpen. That was really encouraging. We we all know that um, Terry Scubo, Matt Manning, Bo Brisky are on rehab assignments. So a lot's turning in the right direction at a time where this team needs a lot to be turning in the right direction. They're going to play three games against Kansas City, three games against Minnesota. And after what I saw this past weekend, they can beat up on the Twins again, and they can certainly beat up on the Royals. Now, you got to go out there and do it, right? It, it's always easier said than done, but these are two beatable teams the Tigers have coming up in a six-game stretch. My goodness, the Twins looked horrible. Oh, my God, what happened to them? Where Their, their entire team is MIA. Holy smoke, where were they? No, You know, they played, but Korea did nothing. Buxton did nothing. They, Miranda's in the minor leagues. I mean, it, Kepler doesn't play anymore. It, it's a dumpster fire going on over there. Holy smokes. Let's start winning a few games. That looked really, really ugly over there. Holy. They, they used to have a ball club. They don't, they're not, they're really, really playing poorly. They just played poor baseball. It was, it was pretty astonishing how weak they looked. So, all right, let's get to second question, big two. When will Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning, when do you think they're going to start? We've been covering this the last two pods. And uh, when do we think Bo Brisky's going to come back? Obviously, three really big arms for the Tigers. Um, more Skubal and Manning than, than Brisky. But what I've seen from Brisky so far in the minor leagues on his rehab assignment has been really encouraging. The stuff looks really good. The fastball has been you know up to, to 97 miles an hour, kind of like we saw it in 
spring training. Now the big thing is going to be, okay, how is he, how's he commanding his pitches? Is he leaving pitches over the middle or is he not? And so far so good on the rehab assignment. So he just pitched back to back, um, back to back games. He pitched on the 16th and the 17th. So Friday and Saturday. And the fact that he was able to get through both of those outings and feels good coming out of it, AJ Hinch texted back and forth with him. And apparently he felt good as of Sunday morning. So that leads me to believe that Bo Brisky is going to be back pretty soon or at least available to be back. I mean, you got to go through the back-to-back, then they want to see you come out of it. They're probably going to want to get him up to, to, to two innings, I would assume, um, before they really bring him back. So got to see that first. But he's a guy who seems about ready to come back. I mean, the Tigers started his rehab assignment on June 7th. There's a 30-day window for all pitchers who start rehab assignments. So by July 7th, the Tigers are going to have to make a decision on whether they want to bring him back or they want to option him to Toledo. I would assume with the way the bullpen is right now and the fact that they might need another arm to sprinkle in somewhere, maybe Mason Englert has to go on the injured list. He's been dealing with some fatigue um, and is trying to pitch through it, but the stuff's got to come back before he's able to do that. That would be a pretty easy swap for me if I was the Tigers to put him on the injured list and, and bring back Bo Brisky. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the stuff looks good. I think he's got to go multiple innings, and after that happens, he should be ready to roll. Stuff looks good. Let's see how he plays against the big leagues. I think the Mason Ingler swap for Brisky is good for the team and good for Mason Ingler to be really blunt about it. So, Definitely. I mean, he was hit. I mean, Mark, he was hitting, you know, 93 with his fastball in spring training and now he's down to 88, 89 miles an hour. Uh, that tells you everything you need to know. And getting in, you know, he's, he's having an occasional decent outing, but he's been giving up just, I think he has, he's, allowed 10 homers on the year in less than so many hard hits too so many hard hits i think he could use a breather here and uh we'll see where that goes so as far as when we think manning and scuba are ready to start let's try to chalk it out yeah i mean i kind of want to hear your take on this but i do want to run back through what i said about brisky right is it's um 30 days for pitchers when they start their rehab assignments so Tarek scuba started his rehab assignment on June 4th, which means that July 4th is when he'd have to be activated by. Um, and then Matt Manning started his rehab assignment on June 11th. So he has until July 11th. So you're looking at July 4th, July 11th. Matt Manning should definitely be back before July 11th. I think the, you know, I think the early July, you know, date for, for Tarek Skubal seems pretty possible to me. Um, I think he could be back in one of those first couple of games. Uh, of that month, but two guys that you need to get back, and they've both looked, you know, pretty solid so far in the minor leagues on their rehab assignments. Tarek Skubal hasn't allowed a run in eight innings. He's not walking any batters. It's actually zero walks, twelve strikeouts, eight innings. So he's been he's been an electric factory without a doubt. Matt Manning, a uh, little bit of uh, mixed results through two rehab starts. Um, I would like to see him polish up his command a little bit more, but the stuff does look good. And even though he struggled in his last outing, just with some command, and I, I felt like there were too many uncompetitive pitches, he did feel like his stuff was really good. And so that was encouraging that he felt like he was able to throw all of his pitches and um, and do what he needed to do to get through his three-plus innings, and I think it was 59 pitches. So it um, sounds like one more rehab start for Matt Manning. Uh, Tarek Skubal, he's going to start on Wednesday for the Mud Hens. That's June 21st, so maybe he needs that start, and then one more after that. Um, I think that would would make a lot of sense to me. I would say that uh, Monday, June 26th, or Tuesday, June 27th, Manning will start in Texas. Not a great place to start, but uh, I'd feel pretty comfortable with that. 
I would say probably um, Friday night against Colorado, maybe Saturday, July 1st against Colorado for in Colorado for one Tarek Skubo. So that's what I had. That's what I had penciled in. I, I had, I mean, again, and it's, it's, this isn't definitive. That's why I don't like talking about exact dates. I like to give rough timelines, but I did have that July 1st date, um, you know, circled on my calendar as a potential return for him, assuming he needs two more outings in, uh, in Toledo. And then with Matt Manning. Yeah. I mean, if he only needs one more, he should be good to go there for that Texas right. series, probably the first game of that series. Unless Manning's terrible this next outing, it'll be his last outing in Toledo. They'll probably get him up to 60 to 70 pitches. They've been unbelievably patient and conservative with Scoobal. I thought he'd be up to 50 pitches. He only threw 31 in the last outing. So I would expect it's two more starts in Toledo, uh, you know, for scuba he's got to get up to 50 55 pitches not going to bring him up to the major leagues and throw 45 pitches well the thing is though mark as we talked about that you know july 1st date being circle on our calendars if they really wanted to i guess if they wanted to be super careful and and really as careful as they could possibly be they could throw him in toledo uh you know another time after that but the stuff just looks too good i i the stuff looks too good i think you got to push him a little bit and i think he needs that um I think he's ready. I think I think he's ready. He just needs to build up that pitch count. And so we'll see how long that takes. He hasn't even had an inning where he had duress. So he's only the most... most he's he's making it easy on himself, yeah. Right. He hasn't even had an inning where he's had two base runners, uh, you know, and so I, I'm sure they would kind of like to see that. Um, he's going to have to be able to throw 20-plus pitches in an inning before he can throw in a major league game and... So I would expect these next two starts will hopefully stretch him out a little bit more into more real circumstances. And uh, but you know they're both coming back soon. Brisky, I think, will be back here this week. I, seriously, I think they'll swap him out. It. I, I they they need to they need to for Mason the, Angler. He's he's so young and look, he's a Rule Five guy. Hadn't pitched above the Double A level before this season. This has been a lot for him, right? You're trying to also. It's not only just what happens on the field, but you're trying to develop big league routines, and it's different. He went from being a starter in the minor leagues to you know being asked to be ready to pitch every single day in the big leagues. Aside from you know maybe a handful of days where you know that you're not going to be used because you you went back to back or something like that. I mean he's a long guy, so yeah. and I guess if if you exhaust the, the the pitch limit, then you know maybe you know you have a day off or something like that. But at the same time, you still prepare yourself every single day to be ready. And there's a lot that goes into that too, from the the mental standpoint, that can also bleed over into the physical. The good thing is it's not an injury. It's it's fatigue. It's tiredness, and that happens. You know, I, just to give you an idea, though, Harris has actually been pretty aggressive in the last two weeks picking up estate sale arms here. He picked up uh, Miskevich, who's an ex-Michigan State left-hander who's got the potential to be, you know, he's he's had some effective time in the major leagues. For I think for Seattle, he was pretty good. This, this kid, I think his last name's Colvin. I did a little dive on him, throws three pitches sinker slider split up to 95 um you got trey wingenter coming back off Indeed. of uh the dl the shortly yeah. right so you you have 
you know, that's three 40-man arms at Toledo that all have some major league competency, uh, you know, and the way they've been using the bullpen. looks like they probably need it. And it well, and, and you, you also got to back yourself too, though, right? I mean, yeah. as much as you're using the bullpen, you got to be ready just in case of injuries or you know, obviously you might need guys to come up and down, but you got you to protect your team. Yeah, especially the way AJ likes to use a bullpen. You got to give yourself some actual usable depth, which leads me into a question for you, which is how many bullpen days are you allowed in the major leagues before they fine you or do some type of, you know, I'm, <laughs> you're not allowed you're not allowed this many bullpen days in the major leagues are you how about will vest starting three times in the past week it's, it's pretty amazing and actually they they've been shockingly decent on these bullpen days it's you know i think weirdly aj kind of likes it because it lets him play a lot of chess and aj hinch is very good at baseball chess i don't think there's much he's to masterful argue about that he's masterful and if you can, but the thing is too mark is you give him a lead early and and just let him play the matchup game it, it's really worked for the it's really worked out for the tigers they've been they've been really good in bullpen games i know they had the bullpen game against the phillies where they lost one to nothing but again to hold that phillies team to one run pat yourself on the back for that that's that's you know you, you blame the offense there you know, all day long and they've been doing it. It's been working. And it, I scratch my head because I, every day there's a bullpen game. I wonder how are they going to get through this? And every time they figure out how to get through it. I mean, even on Sunday, even today, right? Like they were down to basically their last you know, reliever that they could use because they weren't going to use Angler and they weren't going to use, you know, Tyler Alexander. And they had to send Jason Foley back out there for the ninth. Like they had nobody left, but they still got it done and got the win. Loved it. I, I tip, tip my hat to how masterful Hinch is when it comes to using his bullpen. All right, but it's got to stop. Up. But it's got, but but it's got to oh, stop. That's the thing, dude. and it's going to stop because you're going to get Matt Manning back. You're going to get Tarek Skubal back. You're going to feel be feeling a lot better about your pitching staff. Eduardo's working his way back. Alex Fido is going to be coming back at some point from the the fingernail you know thing that he had. Um, but look, shout out to Will Vest. He was the first Tigers pitcher to start twice in the same series since Mickey Lolich in June 1973. So. Some yeah. credit to Will Vest, some credit to Tigers, and, and AJ Hinch, of course. Also, hat tip to uh, Matt Boyd and Joey Wentz for throwing Heck six yeah. innings. Couldn't have done it without him. And how Joey Wentz, I, I tweeted a little bit about this. Last, is 31 outs, last 31 outs is allowed three hits. So while you're quietly waiting for him to be demoted to Toledo, He's kind of shoving the last two times out. So a favorite of both uh, you and I have, and obviously making some improvements, really kind of cutting down on how much he's using his four-seamer, which was just getting punished, and using a lot of curveball, a lot of change-up. Actually got, did not use that much cutter. You and I were discussing this after the game yesterday. You talked to him a little bit about that. He kind of shelved some cutter yesterday, right? Yeah, he decided to just kind of dish the cutter and, and use it sparingly. I mean, he used it when he needed it, and it was effective when he needed it, aside from a, a couple of hits that he gave up. But he went straight curveball, straight changeup, and then obviously used his four-seamer you know, to go with that. And he was landing those secondary pitches. He read the scouting report. He realized, hey, look, like 
half of this lineup struggles with curveballs, half of this lineup struggles with changeups. Let's just throw curveballs and changeups. And, you know, they also, they, they hit cutters based on the scouting report. So let's not throw the cutter as often. And I thought yeah. that was a, a very mature approach by him. I thought Jake Rogers, you know, the catcher did an excellent job of leading him oh. through that start. Um, he, he should, he should feel really good coming out of that one Joey Wentz. And I think it's a reminder that he can pitch at this level when yep. he's on and when he's commanding his pitches. It was, you know, you, after getting beat up as bad as he's been beat up in these last six, eight starts to throw as well as he has the last two times, not only to help the team a ton, it was it was good for him. And Matt Boyd, king of the three-run homer, I got to tip my hat to him because he gave another one up, and it just feels like he gives one up every single outing these days. But afterward, he battled. He battled. And uh, he was really good. And at a time, they really needed him to be good. So Matthew Boyd, uh, you know, way to hang in there. It was the nicest thing I could say about that outing was it was damn professional. So good to see him do that. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. I want to talk a little bit about how good the offense has been in the last week, 10 days. Pretty on fire. Torkelson, three homers, eight runs batted in. I think he's hitting over 300. Matt Veerling uh, hit, I think, uh, 11 home runs in the last week. Um, also sent me uh, just a picture of himself with one finger up and a smile on his face. Uh, Javi Baez stirring the drink every big hit you could imagine. I always love Javi in the sense that he just playing up a storm. He had a Javi Baez hat trick the other day. And for those of you that do not know what a Javi Baez hat trick is, it's a homer, a walk, and an unbelievable highlight reel defensive play in the same game. I love the defensive play, Mark. He made the play, and Brandon White was was pitching, and Javi makes the play. Brandon White just walks out the field with the biggest smile on his face. And I, in my head, I, I was I was wondering. I said, I wonder what he's thinking right now. And I thought maybe he was thinking, this ain't Triple A no more, is it? Yeah, they, they don't do this in Toledo, baby. Kerry Carpenter been hitting up the storm since he's come back. Went dong today. Interestingly, has hit the ball to the right of second base for a hit i think twice my friend jerry mackinan brought that up today and uh not normally his style of hitting but you know kerry carpenter swinging the bat swinging the bat every day so doing a lot of really really good things and the guy that's really stirring the drink is andy abanez who is just hitting up a storm, dude. How about over a thousand OPS in the month of June? Hitting but you know what? Hey, credit to, credit to AJ Hinch. Credit to AJ Hinch. Credit to the Tigers. Credit to Andy Abanias. They stuck with them. I mean, they've done a good job of that, I think, with certain guys. And and I mean, there are some guys, um, one of those guys being Nick Maton, where it's just like, okay, it's it's time. Like this has been over and over and over again. But Andy Abanias, he goes for he goes through his over 32 stretch or whatever it was. And he's come out of it, and he's come out of it great. And he's been he's been a, an important bat in this lineup. And I, I think you got to give credit to you know front office and people up top for sticking with guys even when they're going through it. Andy Abanias has a track record. He puts the ball in play even when he was 
slumping really bad. He was still putting the ball in play. That's something that they value on this team, something that he does maybe better than anybody else is just limiting strikeouts and, and getting the ball and moving it forward. That's something that he does well, and he's he's benefiting from it now with some big hits. Yeah, Andy Andy Abana is just hitting the ball hard two, three times a game every day. I mean, he's in the lineup pretty much every day, and he's doing damage. He's doing some serious, serious damage. All right, let's talk about two ugly things in the room. First of all, Jordan McKinstry, uh, Nick Maton, Eric Haas, just a drought. I mean, Hasse hit a homer, but the three of them are, they got to be like, I don't know, like 20 for 190 in the month of June. It's it's really, really, really getting ugly now. All three of them really scuffling badly. I, I'm not, I mean, I get that Mayton has a ridiculous walk rate and he plays adequate defense, but it's getting really difficult to watch this struggle that's gone on for a very, very, very long time. I'm going to think that his at-bats are going to get cut back shortly one way or another, whether they bring up another outfielder and move McKinstry back into the infield. But, I mean, if McKinstry for sure was hitting, they um, they might consider doing that. But he, he's been part of the problem, too. Just seems like he's collapsing his back elbow and, on you know, uppercutting the ball an awful lot, just not hitting the ball. Hard, not walking at all. Haas is just laid on fastballs. He's just getting obliterated by fastballs, which for him is very, very, very unusual. Usually he just murders fastballs. So all three really struggling, and uh, they're in the lineup a lot. So kind of like giant offensive holes. It's amazing we're scoring as much as the Tigers are scoring as much as they are with three players that are, you know, struggling to hit 150. Yeah, I think we need to remember with McKinstry, and I want to touch on him first, is what he did in May. Let's just first make sure we don't forget that. I mean, this was a guy who had the best month of his entire career. He had 301. He had 20 walks and 15 strikeouts in 26 games. His 454 on base percentage ranked first in the American League. And here's the most important thing, I think. I mean, aside from the walks, I think the walks are probably the most important thing. And then a 12.5% swing and miss rate on off-speed pitches in May. What is it now in June? As of a couple of days ago, it was 28.5% swing and miss rate on off-speed pitches, which aligns with his 26.5% career whiff rate on off-speed pitches in the 20, in the 2020 season. So he's almost regressing back to the back to the mean, right? And I think that that was expected. You don't expect Zach McKinstry to hit 301. There's a reason why we dogged on him when they got him. We praised him because he was playing great. And, and I still think he's a good player and a, a quality player, but he is regressing back to more of those career norms and what we saw from him last season when he was with the Cubs and the Dodgers. So, and I think the same thing is true about his, you know, swing and miss rate on breaking balls in June also aligns with, you know, the same you know, swing and miss rate that he had on those pitches in 2022. So it seems like he's just starting to get exposed a little bit more. And, and that's kind of what happens. Now, I, I think Nick Maton is a different story and Eric Haas might be a different story because, you know, DFA might be coming soon from both of those players. I would have to think. I don't think Eric Haas is going anywhere, man. They don't really have much catching depth that they're going to feel comfortable promoting. Right, because they're not going to bring up Donnie Sands. And you got, I mean, you do have a lot of catchers in Toledo, but they're not on the 40. And to make room for them, to have four catchers on the 40 would kind of be, yeah, that'd be a head scratcher for me. So I, I get yeah. what you're saying there. 
they're gonna they're just gonna have to eat it with Eric Haas unless there's a deal that they can make that uh, we're unaware of. But I don't think anybody in the minor leagues is someone they're eager to promote. There's no real good defenders besides Dingler, and uh, you know we're you're just gonna have to hope that Haas comes out of it and starts starts hitting. And listen, he's been very good after June 1st in his, you know, the last two seasons he played for the Tigers. So you got to hope that somehow he finds it because he could be a big help. So his defense becomes much more of a liability when he's hitting 150, to say the least. So, well, and it doesn't help that his counterpart leads the team in home runs now, does it? No, but, you know, listen, he, he, Jake right now is really – playing very 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 well reminds me of 2019 roberto perez if you don't know who that is if you don't know who that is look it up okay so but aren't you going to take that out of jake rogers all day every day i mean sure the guy might be hitting you know 174 or whatever he is right but nine home runs really handling the pitching staff being able to to you know be one of the best framers in baseball you're taking that all day long. A great defensive catcher who's going to pop off for you and get you some home runs. All you take day. It. You got 21 RBIs. All day. Okay. All day. It's exactly what, you know, I envisioned what kind of player he could be, and this is exactly what he's doing. Do I think he can hit 30 points higher? Of course. He th- and he probably will. But this is the kind of player Jake Rogers is going to be for a long time. He's going to hit some homers. He's going to handle your pitching staff. He's going to, in the famous words of Evan Petzold, he's going to lead pitchers out of the fire, not into the fire. I told him, job well done for leading Joey Wentz out of the fire. Because Holy smokes. He did it, man. He just, I mean, he just, and it wasn't really as much leading him out of the fire. Sure, in the fifth inning, sure. And then to get him to go back out there in the sixth, then to just shut it down one, two, three. But it was just maneuvering through the game plan. And, and telling him to trust his stuff. I asked him, I said, you know, what did you, was Joey struggling with anything early that you guys had to just kind of push through? He mentioned the changeup. You know, Joey missed a couple of times with the changeup. And Eric, I mean, uh, uh, Jake said, no, we're going to go right back to it. We're going to keep throwing it over and over and over again, and you're going to lock it in. That's trusting your pitcher. That, that's as good as it gets. Jakey, this the nuance of understanding how to lead his pitchers through or not give up on pitches. It's it's really impressive, impressive stuff. Speaking of pitchers who uh, need a little bit of help and leadership getting out of the fire, uh, I want you to find out who broke Alex Lang because it's upsetting me now. Uh, I looked at his June. It was just crazy ugly. He's Got five innings pitched in June. He's got two good appearances. All the rest, he's allowed runs. He's given up 10 earned runs in five innings and 17 base runners. Two of the times, he could barely throw a strike. And I got to think it's something mechanical. I, I almost refer to it as pitcher's yips. The good news about this is he had the same problem Last year in August, he was just atrocious after being great the entire year. And somehow in the month of September, he was great. Right back to it. Right back to throwing strikes. But uh, that's that's an issue because Alex Lang is a bona fide weapon. He's got over a 50% whiff rate on his curveball. 
and uh, he could barely get one to the catcher today. It was it was a struggle to watch him. I think, too, part of it was just coming into June. I mean, he was as dialed in as dialed in gets, and then suddenly in that game against the White Sox, it was June 4th, and that's when he gave up the, the four runs on the walk-off grand slam to Jake Berger, and just watching the White Sox take his pitches, they were not swinging. They were, they were realizing, okay, this guy gets swing and miss, he gets chased because he throws out of the zone. And if he's not going to be able to land his fastball, his sinker, um, you know, he's, he's not going to be able to be effective because we're not swinging at any off-speed pitches. We're just not going to swing at them. And I don't know if that rattled him a little bit or got in his head, but he's really struggled since then just at commanding any of his pitches, even throwing, again, I mean, we saw him, you know, hit uh, Michael A. Taylor today with an off-speed pitch that, I mean, you know, normally he just buries that, and sure, it might be a take, but, you know, he's not hitting guys with that pitch very often. And so the fact that he hit him the way that he did, I, I almost just wonder if he's just, you know, so focused on trying to command everything, even if it's not landing, you know, curveballs or changeups in the strike zone, just just landing them where he normally does, making them, you know, strike the ball, you know, below the zone. I, I wonder if that's almost in his head at this point because he just has not been the same pitcher that we saw. He was at the beginning of the season and all the way through May. I mean, he was as, as good as it gets. And now it's a an 18 ERA in his past seven games. He's only completed five innings in those seven games, five walks, six strikeouts, 10 earned runs, two hit batters. It's been a mess. He was pitcher of the month in April. I mean, in May. So let's, For all the American League, for relievers, yeah. Correct. So yeah, it's an issue. Um I'm sure it's partly mechanical, part mental, and it's not the first time he's had these issues. And I feel and confident. I have faith in him. And I, yeah, I have faith in him, just like I know you do, right? Because he's going to be able to get back to it. Yep. But I think just out of fairness, you know, we call him like we see him, and it's our job to explain it a little bit. So, all right. So let's touch on the injury report a little bit. We. I have news on a few things. And first, let's start off discussing something we haven't discussed yet this season because, you know, no one had seen him this season. But one Jackson Job threw in the complex league yesterday, threw two innings, struck out four, walked nobody. Um, I'm sure all the teenagers in the complex league were quite impressed by what he had to show them. And what did you hear about that today? Our Tigers don't like to talk about their players who are injured, so you don't really hear a whole lot about anything um, regarding those players, especially their prospects. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll believe it when I see it, when he gets up and, and does it at the high A level or does it in double A or, you know, finds his way to triple A, whatever it is, right? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, when I see him go, you know, do it against, you know, real hitters. Um, but yeah. as of now, I haven't heard much about it. Um, obviously, the stuff was good. But again, look at who he was pitching against. Um, let's see him do it against some real talent. That'll take some time to get him back into it. But it's good to see him back out there. That's a positive exactly. sign for the organization. That's, that's what matters most is if, that if, he's if I, back out there and pitching. Yeah, if I were to make a guess, he'll uh, he'll probably throw one more outing in the complex league, then throw a couple times in Lakeland, and he'll be up to West Michigan here within the next three weeks. At the and then he's going to have to earn that promotion to Erie. Oh, he's not, you know, Erie. I mean, once he's back at West Michigan, then it's just like he's on in the regular rotation. He's going to have to earn whatever he does. And 
you know, hopefully, you know, I, I was a little higher on Job last year than a lot of people were. I liked a lot of things that he did. I understood a lot of things they were doing with him. And I'm excited to see how long it takes for him to get back into a rhythm where, you know, we can see if there's some progress being made with him. Uh, I don't have a lot to say besides that. Let's let's get to some other players. You mentioned uh, Riley Green on the anti-gravity treadmill. So we're two weeks into his, you know, we're 17, 18, 20 days into his injury. Um, Got to think uh, we're going to hopefully by the end of next week, we should start seeing some interesting things, maybe some dry swings uh, off the tee, et cetera. You're going to be getting near the 30 day mark before we know it. And hopefully We'll be seeing Riley Green, you know, when the calendar turns July, hopefully maybe we'll be close to seeing him. What what are you hearing about that? Yeah, the target initially was kind of six weeks, right, when it was considered um, a stress fracture. Now it has been downgraded to a stress reaction. Uh, We've covered that already, but the fact that it's been downgraded in that way, I still don't know if that changes the timeline as much. I think it's still probably six weeks, just, you know, not as severe, so you're looking at mid-July for his return, maybe earlier than that, depending on how quickly he can get going. But all it, all that it depends on is how quickly he's able to really run. And the fact that he's using the anti-gravity, that's a positive sign towards being able to fully run on flat ground. But he's going to have to clear all those tests before they're going to send him back out there. They, they don't want any, any chance of a setback once he starts to roll again. So I think six weeks makes perfect sense to me. Mid-July, that's a good time to expect him to come back. So in E-Ride, we'll probably get a much better idea if there's any accelerated timeline this week, I'll probably throw another bullpen and maybe they'll be ready to talk a little bit more about where he's at, right? That would be the hope. Yeah. I mean, he threw his first bullpen. And again, when we talked initially and, and I had reached out to, um, you know, some doctors to talk about both of these injuries, I had heard for Eduardo Rodriguez and, and they told me, they said, Hey, look, it's probably going to be eight to 12 weeks. Um, 10 weeks kind of seems like the, the, kind of a good timeline of when he's going to be able to come back. So call it 10 weeks. And then suddenly, like, he didn't have to shut down much at all. He was back to playing catch pretty quickly after, you know, he went and got checked out by the doctor in Philadelphia, and now he's throwing a bullpen. So a much accelerated timeline um, from from 10 weeks. Now, an exact timeline of when he's going to be back, I have no idea yet. Um, I don't even know if he threw, was it just fastballs? Was it all of his pitches? Is he able to spin? Because... You know, that finger, you need that finger to be able to spin your pitches. It's the, the pulley on the right in, or the left index finger. So if you want to spin your pitches, you're going to need to be able to grip it with that, um, you know, with that tip of the finger, which is where the A4 pulley is. So I don't know if he's spinning his pitches yet or if he's just throwing straight fastballs to keep the arm going. I think we're going to find out a lot more about that in the coming week, and we should be able to get a pretty decent timeline, or at least a guess at a timeline, because the Tigers don't like to talk about timelines for when he might be able to return. Yeah, I'm just glad he's able to throw a bullpen and maintain some type of conditioning for both his body and his arm. It shortens up when he's going to have to uh, do that when he can't spin. And I think we'll know a lot more this week about what's up. So I'm, I'm encouraged about some of these things from an injury standpoint. We're getting to the point in time where we're going to start getting some of these guys back and. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad to see it. All right, we're going to take our last break. We'll be back in a second. All right, I wanted to touch 
And a couple of guys that have kind of unsung done a really good job. One is Jose Cisnero, who's had quite a decent month of June. The other one is Brendan White, this particular time, really showing a few things that uh, probably as everybody, you know, including Hinch and Fetter, pretty excited, um, showing a little more velocity than we've seen, two different sliders, getting his feet wet as a major leaguer, and definitely showing potential to be somebody that's, you know, a pretty consistent reliever in a major league bullpen. Yeah, I want to start with Jose Cisnero just because of some of the tweaks that he's made. Um, he has done some different things with his arsenal to try to improve and you know to, to be better than he's been. And he's, and he's been pretty solid for the Tigers across the board, kind of low-key solid for them. Um, he's missing a lot of bats, he, you know, not, not a ton of barrel contact uh, for opposing hitters. And he decided to make a couple tweaks, adding a splitter. Um, instead of a changeup, he went and added a sweeper to go with his slider and also added a cutter. So he messed around with some things and, and added some pitches. I think the cutter specifically is, is impressive to me just to get him off the fastball a little bit more and to kind of have a little bit of a, a, a different movement. Um, so he's got the cutter, the slider, a split, changeup, which he really isn't using much anymore, um, and then obviously the four-seam and the sinker. So he, he's got a lot of pitches, and I'm going to dive into that a little bit more this week to you know get a feel for what he has and what he feels most comfortable with at this point. But he added a lot of those pitches on the fly this year, and I think it's a credit to a pitcher who he's 34. He's been through this before. Um, obviously, his story is great. If you go back and, and, and read a little bit about him, he's with the Astros and then ends up you know coming over to the Tigers, You know, obviously later in his professional career and really gets it going, and he's been a staple in the bullpen so far. So for him to be able to tweak and do some different things midseason to try to keep himself going and, and to make himself better, I think you have to tip your cap to a player who's willing to notice that and, and, and notice and understanding, notice and understand when you need to make changes and make adjustments. He's done a nice job of that. And then for Brendan White, yeah, he's been fun to watch with the four-seamer that he brings, the sweeper, the slider, um, the split that he goes with. I, I think the, the sweeper and the slider um, are, are impressive. The sweeper is more of like 83, 84 miles an hour. The slider, which is a little bit harder, is more you know, 86, 87, 88. Both those can be very effective pitches for him. And then obviously he's got his fastball, which as of now has been sitting around 95 miles an hour. He's somebody that I think as long as he just goes out there and competes with what he's got, I think he's going to be just fine. He's somebody who knows so much about the analytics and knows a ton about pitch movements. I mean, he knows a lot. He's like a mini Chris Fetter, I guess we could call him. I don't know if that's rude to Chris Fetter or not because I know Chris Fetter is a genius and, and is great at what he does. But, you know, he's kind of – Brendan White is kind of like Chris Fetter Jr., and all that he knows. And so he dissects everything about his pitches. I think for him, if he just goes out there and competes and if he just attacks, his stuff is going to take care of business for him. He, he's, he's really good. Tigers have been high on him for a few years now. He's a guy who got picked up in the 26th round of the 2019 draft with 772 overall. And he's self-made in that way. And we're seeing it now at the big league level. I'm excited to get to see him more and more this season. And he's a guy that I think definitely could stick for the rest of the year. Yeah, glad to see it. They need more bullpen depth. And as I said, with Brisky coming up, the idea of having uh, White and Brisky down there with Foley and Lang, it, it gives them a, a little depth in case it takes uh, a little while longer for you know Alex Lang to recalibrate his mechanics so that he's throwing more strikes. So I got a chance to watch 
one of the most impressive pitching performances I've seen in quite some time last night. I watched Paul Skeens. I don't know how much you got to see. I don't think very much, right? Mark, I said his name one time today at the ballpark, and I had a conversation just about him with, with some people. But regardless, I said his name, and somebody else said, Ooh, nasty. I watched a little bit. Nasty. It, it, it was, you know, I've watched him three, four times this year, and I was basically putting up uh, a force field that was not allowing the Tigers to even consider drafting another pitcher, especially with the variety and high-end quality of, you know, four hitters, two high school, two college, all that in another year could easily be drafted, number one. I was like, no way. I don't care how impressive this guy is. that The Tigers can think about drafting this guy at three. But after watching last night, I was just like, holy smokes, what am I watching? I mean, I was just blown away. And this is, and I've watched them many other times, but last night, it's just relentless 99, 100, 101. It's when he misses, he's slightly off the plate, not over the plate. It's in the sixth and seventh inning, he's still throwing 100. It's, it's a really, really decent slider. It's a, it's a really strong changeup, and it's basically a profile that understanding the value of pitchers, if any team throws him in the minor leagues more than once or twice, I, I think they need their head examined because you're just wasting bullets. It's, it's insanity. I mean, if, I, if the Tigers draft him third, they have two choices to make. Shut him down for the year. Or basically shut him down for a month, let him throw in relief in September just to get an idea of the big leagues. And you're in the rotation, baby, for 2024 because uh, no minor league experience necessary. Not with that stuff, not with that presence, not with that body. So I'll be interested to see. I mean, I, I've kind of thought about this a little bit. Just and I saw it on Twitter going around to say, hey, can he pitch in the big leagues right now? Um, for sure. Could he get big league hitters out right now? Yes, 100%. The stuff is so good. Um, but then there are so many other external factors to you got to ask yourself about, you know, with a pitcher like this. And um, but again, it doesn't mean that he needs to be babied and be in the minor leagues for two years. Heck no. Stuff's way too good for that. But my big question is going to be the repeatability of the delivery. That's kind of like the, the number one, right? Is he going to be able to throw strikes and command his pitches? It looks like he can right now. The second thing is, how good is the secondary stuff going to be at this level? Because hitters are going to time up your fastball. They see 100-plus quite often in the big leagues, whereas in college it's just not the same. You have different calibers of hitters up and down that lineup. You come to the big leagues, these are the best of the best who have faced 100-plus over and over and over again in their careers. So I don't I – don't, I like Paul Skeens. I think he's a great pitcher. I think he's I mean, maybe one of the best college pitchers um, to, to ever come into a draft. Um, and I think it would be interesting if the Tigers went out and got him. I think they'd be able to get creative with it. I think that would be a very, very, very calculated risk from Scott Harris in order to boost your rotation instantly. Um, but I also do have some concerns when you go back and you look at some of the guys who were supposed to be really good that went at the top of drafts, you know, in years past. You go back and look for the list of college. I mean, 
one that jumps out to me is Carson Fulmer from Vanderbilt. I mean, he was supposed to be the real deal of the thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, Carson Fulmer is Carson Fulmer and he's pitching for the Tigers when it's his, I don't know, sixth go around. It felt like at that point and flames out again and, and this and that. So Carson Fulmer bounced around a ton of different teams and, and, and never stuck. Right. So does the same thing happen to Paul Skeens? I don't know. Nobody really knows. That's what makes it so interesting and what makes it debatable. But is he a great arm? Yes. Is he a great arm at number three in the draft? Yes. I think the Tigers will take him. No. But would it be a calculated risk if they do? Heck yeah. Heck yeah, it would be. There's only two names that I would compare Paul Skeens to that I've seen in recent times. It's uh, Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole. Hunter Green. Ooh, I was going to say Hunter Green. I think there's an interesting comparison there. Well, but okay. I got news for you. If he's Hunter, he, I think he is Hunter Green now. Hunter Green is five years into his development. Paul Skeens is as good as Hunter Green is right now. True, because Green came out of high school as well, right? And, and Paul Skeens, obviously, from college. And Hunter Green is damn good right now, by the way, in the major leagues. But it's taken a journey to get him there. But like I said, the only two guys I could compare Skeens to are Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg. So uh, I have my feelings. If you want to do some calculated risk, we're not going to discuss them. We don't have enough time now. And my idea about what to do about it is so outlandish, so out of the box that I probably need security at my house here in Beverly Hills once I explained it to somebody. I did have a nice discussion about it last night with my buddy Brandon Day, who is a very sophisticated pitching person, and we actually had a pretty nice discussion in the middle of the night about it. It was a little out of the box, but we'll discuss it another time. All right, the last question before I let you get on the airplane because we're talking about airplanes, more airports. You fly all over the country for 180 days a year. Best airport food. I never thought about this question, but I do like the Detroit airport because it has Chick-fil-A. I don't really venture out very much. I kind of just get here as... You know, last second as possible and hop on the plane and then get right off it and get to a hotel and try to find food somewhere around the hotel. Um, but I do like the new Kansas City airport. They redid that and it's uh, it's pretty. So if we have any listeners in Kansas City, you have a nice airport now. It used to be no bueno. So all these, you know, 15 to 20 different airports you fly around to all over the country and you don't have a good airport food place that you that's like a secret evan petzold location for eating uh, i do have this place called the loon bar and grill in minnesota and that's in town it's like i go there every single time every day literally every day um but i need to think a little bit more about the airport i need to go catch my flight so we have right. to wrap this thing up but um right. no i'll think about it a little bit more and i'll come back to you next week with something good all right we're gonna let evan get on the plane I want to remind everybody to uh, rate, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to us. You can always find us at thefreep.com, especially in a, any story written by Evan Petzold. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Kirk Crawford and uh, Anjanette Delgado. Uh, to my grandson, who I got a chance to at least talk to today on Father's Day, Braden Michael Gorash. I bid him a farewell. And until next week, we have a big week coming up, playing division rivals. Until next week, peace. Peace.